Section 17 of Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded, by Samuel Richardson. Section 17. Sunday Morning. I remembered what he said of not being obliged to ask again for my papers, and what I should be forced to do and could not help, I thought I might as well do in such a manner as might show I would not disoblige on purpose, though I stomached this matter very heavily too. I had therefore got in readiness my two parcels, and he, not going to church in the morning, bid Mrs. Jukes tell me he was gone into the garden. I knew that was for me to go to him, and so I went, for how can I help being at his back, which grieves me not a little, though he is my master, as I may say, for I am so holy in his power that it would do me no good to incense him, and if I refused to obey him in little manners, my refusal in greater would have the less weight. So I went down to the garden, but as he walked in one walk, I took another, that I might not seem too forward neither. He soon spied me, and said, Do you expect to be courted to come to me? Sir, said I, and crossed the walk to attend him, I did not know but I should interrupt you in your meditations this good day. Was that the case, said he, truly, and from your heart? Why, sir, said I, I don't doubt but you have very good thoughts sometimes, though not towards me. I wish, said he, I could avoid thinking so well of you as I do. But where are the papers? I dare say you had them about you yesterday, for you say in those I have that you will bury your writings in the garden, for fear you should be searched if you did not escape. This, added he, gave me a glorious pretense to search you, and I had been vexing myself all night that I did not strip you garment by garment till I had found them. "'Oh, fie, sir,' said I, "'let me not be scared with hearing that you had such a thought in earnest. "'Well,' said he, "'I hope you have not now the papers to give me, "'for I had rather find them myself, I'll assure you.' "'I did not like this way of talk at all, "'and thinking it best not to dwell upon it, said, "'Well, but, sir, you will excuse me, I hope, "'giving up my papers. "'Don't trifle with me,' said he, "'where are they? "'I think I was very good to you last night "'to humour you as I did. "'If you had either added or diminished, "'and have not strictly kept your promise, "'woe be to you. "'Indeed, sir,' said I, "'I have neither added nor diminished. "'But there is the parcel that goes "'with my sad attempt to escape, "'and the terrible consequences "'it had like to have followed with. "'And it goes down to the naughty articles "'you sent me. "'And as you know all that has happened since, "'I hope these will satisfy you.' He was going to speak, but I said, to drive him from thinking of any more, and I must beg you, sir, to read the matter favourably, if I have exceeded in any liberties of my pen. I think, said he, half smiling, you may wonder at my patience, that I can be so easy to read myself abused as I am by such a saucy slut. Sir, said I, I have wondered you should be so desirous to see my bold stuff, and, for that very reason, I have thought it a very good or a very bad sign. What, said he, is your good sign? that it may have an effect upon your temper at last in my favour when you see me so sincere your bad sign why that if you can read my reflections and observations upon your treatment of me with tranquillity and not be moved it is a sign of a very cruel and determined heart now pray sir don't be angry at my boldness in telling you so freely my thoughts you may perhaps said he be least mistaken when you think of your bad sign god forbid said i so i took out my papers and said here sir they are but if you please to return them without breaking the seal, it will be very generous, and I will take it for a great favour and a good omen. He broke the seal instantly and opened them. So much for your omen, replied he. I am sorry for it, said I, very seriously, and was walking away. Whither now, said he, I was going in, sir, that you might have time to read them if you thought fit. He put them into his pocket and said, You have more than these. 
"'Yes, sir, but all they contain you know as well as I. "'But I don't know,' said he, "'the light you put things in, "'and so give them to me if you have not a mind to be searched.' "'Sir,' said I, "'I can't stay if you won't forbear that ugly word. "'Give me, then, no reason for it. "'Where are the other papers? "'Why, then, unkind sir, if it must be so, here they are.' "'And so I gave him, out of my pocket, the second parcel, "'sealed up, as the former, with this superscription.' from the naughty articles down through sad attempts to thursday the forty-second day of my imprisonment this is last thursday is it yes sir but now you will see what i write i will find some other way to employ my time for how can i write with any face what must be for your perusal and not for those i intended to read my melancholy stories yes said he i would have you continue your penmanship by all means and i assure you in the mind i am in i will not ask you for any after these except anything very extraordinary occurs and i have another thing to tell you added he that if you send for those from your father and let me read them i may very probably give them all back again to you and so i desire you will do it this a little encourages me to continue my scribbling but for fear of the worst i will when they come to any bulk contrive some way to hide them if i can that i may protest i have them not about me which before i could not say of a truth and that made him so resolutely bent to try to find them upon me for which i might have suffered frightful indecencies he led me then to the side of the pond and sitting down on the slope made me sit by him come said he this being the scene of part of your project and where you so artfully threw in some of your clothes i will just look upon that part of your relation sir said i let me then walk about at a little distance for i cannot bear the thought of it don't go far said he when he came as i supposed to the place where i mentioned the bricks falling upon me he got up and walked to the door and looked upon the broken part of the wall for it had not been mended, and came back, reading on to himself, towards me, and took my hand and put it under his arm. "'Why this,' said he, "'my girl, is a very moving tale. It was a very desperate attempt, and, had you got out, you might have been in great danger, for you had a very bad and lonely way, and I had taken such measures that, let you have been where you would, I should have had you.' "'You may see, sir,' said I, "'what I ventured rather than be ruined, "'and you will be so good as hence to judge of the sincerity of my profession "'that my honesty is dearer to me than my life. "'Romantic girl,' said he, and read on. "'He was very serious at my reflections "'on what God had enabled me to escape, "'and when he came to my reasonings about throwing myself into the water, "'he said, "'Walk gently before,' and seemed so moved "'that he turned away his face from me.' and I blessed this good sign, and began not so much to repent at his seeing this mournful part of my story. He put the papers in his pocket when he had read my reflections, and thanks for escaping from myself, and said, taking me about the waist, Oh, my dear girl, you have touched me sensibly with your mournful relation and your sweet reflections upon it. I should truly have been very miserable had it taken effect. I see you have been used too roughly, and it is a mercy you stood proof in that fatal moment." Then he most kindly folded me in his arms. Let us, say I too, my Pamela, walk from this accursed piece of water, for I shall not with pleasure look upon it again, to think how near it was to have been fatal to my fair one. I thought, added he, of terrifying you to my will, since I could not move you by love, and Mrs. Jukes too well obeyed me, when the terrors of your return, after your disappointment, were so great, that you had hardly courage to withstand them, but had liked to have made so fatal a choice to escape the treatment you apprehended. "'Oh, sir,' said I, "'I have reason, I am sure, to bless my dear parents, and my good lady, your mother, for giving me something of a religious education, 
for but for that and god's grace i should more than upon one occasion have attempted at least a desperate act and the less i wonder how poor creatures who have not the fear of god before their eyes and give way to despondency cast themselves into perdition come kiss me said he and tell me you forgive me for pushing you into so much danger and distress if my mind hold and i can see those former papers of yours and these that are in my pocket give me no cause to alter my opinion i will endeavour to defy the world and the world's censures and make my pamela amends if it be in the power of my whole life for all the hardships i have made her undergo all this looked well but you shall see how strangely it was all turned for this sham marriage then came into my mind again and i said your poor servant is far unworthy of this great honour for what will it be but to create envy to herself and discredit to you therefore sir permit me to return to my poor parents and that is all i have to ask he was in a fearful passion then and is it thus said he in my fond conceding moments that i am to be despised and answered precise perverse unseasonable pamela be gone from my sight and know as well how to behave in a hopeful prospect as in a distressful state and then and not till then shalt thou attract the shadow of my notice i was startled and going to speak but he stamped with his foot and said be gone i tell you i cannot bear this stupid romantic folly one word said i but one word i beseech you sir he turned from me in great wrath and took down another alley and so i went with a very heavy heart and fear i was too unseasonable just at a time when he was so condescending but if it was a piece of art of his side as i apprehended to introduce the sham wedding and to be sure he is very full of stratagem and art i think i was not so much to blame so i went up to my closet and wrote thus far while he walked about till dinner was ready and he is now sat down to it as i hear by mrs jukes very sullen thoughtful and out of humour and she asks what have i done to him now again i dread to see him when will my fears be over three o'clock well he continues exceeding wrath he has ordered his travelling chariot to be got ready with all speed what is to come next i wonder sure i did not say so much but see the lordliness of a high condition a poor body must not put in a word when they take it into their heads to be angry what a fine time a person of an equal condition would have had of it if she were even to marry such a one his poor dear mother spoiled him at first nobody must speak to him or contradict him as i have heard when he was a child and so he has not been used to be controlled and cannot bear the least thing that crosses his violent will this is one of the blessings attending to men of high condition much good may do them with their pride of birth and pride of fortune say i all that it serves for as far as i can see is to multiply their disquiets and everybody's else that has to do with them so so where will this end mrs jukes has been with me from him and she says i must get out of the house this moment well said i but whither am i to be carried next why home said she to your father and mother and can it be said i no no i doubt i shall not be so happy as that to be sure some bad design is on foot again to be sure it is sure sure said i mrs jukes he has not found out some other housekeeper worse than you she was very angry you may well think but i know she can't be made worse than she is she came up again are you ready said she bless me said i you are very hasty i have heard of this not a quarter of an hour ago but i shall be soon ready for i have but little to take with me and no kind friends in this house to take leave of to delay me yet like a fool i can't help crying pray said i just step down and ask if i may not have my papers so i am quite ready now again she comes up with an answer and so i will put up these few writings in my bosom that i have left 
I don't know what to think, nor how to judge, but I shall never believe I am with you, till I am on my knees before you, begging both of your blessings. Yet I am sorry he is so angry with me. I thought I did not say so much. There is, I see, the chariot drawn out, the horses too, the grim Colbrand going to get on horseback. What will be the end of all this? Monday. Well, where this will end I cannot say. But here I am, at a little poor village, almost such a one as yours. I shall learn the name of it by and by. And Robin assures me, he has orders to carry me to you, my dear father and mother. Oh, that he may say truth and not deceive me again. But having nothing else to do, and I am sure I shall not sleep a wink to-night if I was to go to bed, I will write my time away, and take up my story where I left off on Sunday afternoon. Mrs. Jukes came up to me with this answer about my papers. My master says he will not read them yet, lest he should be moved by anything in them to alter his resolution. But if he should think it worth while to read them, he will send them to you afterwards, to your father's. But, said she, here are your guineas that I borrowed, for all is now over with you, I find. She saw me cry, and said, Do you repent? Of what? said I. Nay, I can't tell, replied she, but, to be sure, he has had a taste of your satirical flings, or he would not be so angry. Oh, continued she, and held up her hand, thou hast the spirit, but I hope it will now be brought down. I hope so too, said I. Well, added I, I am ready. She lifted up the window, and said, I'll call Robin to take your portmanteau. Bag and baggage, proceeded she, I'm glad you're going. I have no words, said I, to throw away upon you, Mrs. Jukes, but, making her a very low curtsy, I most heartily thank you for all your virtuous civilities to me. And so I do, for I'll have no portmanteau, I'll assure you, nor anything but these few things that I brought with me in my handkerchief besides what I have on. For I had all this time worn my own bought clothes, though my master would have had it otherwise often, but I had put up paper, ink, and pens, however. So down I went, and as I passed by the parlour she stepped in and said, Sir, you have nothing to say to the girl before she goes. I heard him reply, though I did not see him, Who bid you say the girl, Mrs. Jukes, in that manner? She has offended only me. I beg your honour's pardon, said the wretch, but if I was your honour, she should not, for all the trouble she has cost you, go away scot-free. No more of this, as I told you before, said he. What, when I have such proof that her virtue is all her pride, shall I rob her of that? No, added he, let her go, perverse and foolish as she is, but she deserves to go honest, and she shall go so. I was so transported with this unexpected goodness that I opened the door before I knew what I did, and said, falling on my knees at the door with my hands folded and lifted up, Oh, thank you, thank your honour, a million of times. May God bless you for this instance of your goodness to me. I will pray for you as long as I live, and so shall my dear father and mother. And, Mrs. Jukes, said I, I will pray for you too, poor wicked wretch that you are. He turned from me, and went into his closet and shut the door. He need not have done so, for I would not have gone nearer to him. Surely I did not say so much to incur all this displeasure. I think I was loath to leave the house. Can you believe it? What could be the matter with me, I wonder? I felt something so strange, and my heart was so lumpish. I wonder what ailed me. But this was so unexpected. I believe that was all. Yet I am very strange still. Surely, surely, I cannot be like the old murmuring Israelites, to long after the onions and garlic of Egypt, when they had suffered there such heavy bondage. I'll take thee, O lumpish, contradictory, ungovernable heart, to severe task for this thy strange impulse, when I get to my dear father's and mother's, 
and if I find anything in thee that should not be, depend upon it thou shalt be humbled, if strict abstinence, prayer, and mortification will do it. But yet, after all, this last goodness of his has touched me too sensibly. I wish I had not heard it almost, and yet, methinks, I am glad I did, for I should rejoice to think the best of him for his own sake. Well, and so I went out to the chariot, the same that had brought me down. So, Mr. Robert, said I, here I am again, a poor sporting piece for the great, a mere tennis-ball of fortune. You have your orders, I hope. Yes, madame, said he. Pray now, said I, don't madame me, nor stand with your hat off to such a one as I. Had not my master, said he, ordered me to not be wanting in respect to you, I would have shown you all I could. Well, said I, with my heart very full, that's very kind, Mr. Robert. Mr. Colbrand, mounted on horseback with pistols before him, came up to me as soon as I got in, with his hat off too. "'What, monsieur?' said I. "'Are you to go with me?' "'Part of the way,' he said, to see you safe. "'I hope that's kind, too, in you, Mr. Colbrand,' said I. I had nobody to wave my handkerchief to now, nor to take leave of, and so I resigned myself to my contemplations, with this strange wayward heart of mine, that I never found so ungovernable and awkward before. So away drove the chariot. And when I had gotten out of the elm-walk and into the great road, I could hardly think but I was in a dream all the time. A few hours before, in my master's arms almost, with twenty kind things said to me, and a generous concern for the misfortunes he had brought upon me, and only by one rash half-word exasperated against me, and turned out of doors at an hour's warning, and all his kindness changed to hate, and I now, from three o'clock to five, several miles off. But if I am going to you, all will be well again, I hope." Lackaday, what strange creatures are men, gentlemen, I should say, rather, for, my dear deserving good mother, though poverty be both your lots, has had better hap, and you are, and have always been, blessed in one another. Yet this pleases me, too. He was so good, he would not let Mrs. Jukes speak ill of me, and scorn to take her odious, unwomanly advice. Oh, what a black heart has this poor wretch! So I need not rail against men so much, for my master, bad as I have thought him, is not half so bad as this woman. To be sure she must be an atheist. Do you think she is not? We could not reach further than this little poor place and sad alehouse rather than inn, for it began to be dark, and Robin did not make so much haste as he might have done, and he was forced to make hard shift for his horses. Mr. Colbrand and Robert, too, are very civil. I see he has got my portmanteau lashed behind the coach. I did not desire it, but I shall not come quite empty. A thorough riddance of me, I see. Bag and baggage, as Mrs. Jukes says. Well, my story surely would furnish out a surprising kind of novel, if it was to be well told. Mr. Robert came up to me just now, and begged me to eat something. I thanked him, but said I could not eat. I bid him ask Mr. Colbrand to walk up, and he came, but neither of them would sit, nor put their hats on. What mock ado is this to such a poor soul as I? I asked them if they were at liberty to tell me the truth of what they were to do with me. If not, I would not desire it. They both said, Robin was ordered to carry me to my father's, and Mr. Colbrand was to leave me within ten miles, and then strike off for the other house and wait till my master arrived there. They both spoke so solemnly that I could not but believe them. But when Robin went down, the other said he had a letter to give me next day at noon when we baited, as we were to do, at Mrs. Jukes' relations. May I not, said I, beg the favour to see it to-night? He seems so loath to deny me, that I have hopes I shall prevail on him by and by. 
Well, my dear father and mother, I have got the letter, on great promises of secrecy, and making no use of it. I will try, if I can, to open it without breaking the seal, and will take a copy of it by and by. For Robin is in and out. There is hardly any room in this little house for one to be long alone. Well, this is the letter. When these lines are delivered to you, you will be far on your way to your father and mother, where you have so long desired to be. And, I hope, I shall forbear thinking of you with the least shadow of that fondness my foolish heart has entertained for you. I bear you, however, no ill will. But the end of my detaining you being over, I would not that you should tarry with me an hour more than needed, after the ungenerous preference you gave, at that time that I was inclined to pass over all other considerations, for an honourable address to you. For well I found the tables entirely turned upon me, and that I was in far more danger from you than you were from me, for I was just upon resolving to defy all the censures of the world, and to make you my wife. I will acknowledge another truth, that, had I not parted with you as I did, but permitted you to stay till I had read your journal, reflecting, as I doubt not I shall find it, and till I had heard your bewitching pleas in your own behalf, I feared I could not trust myself with my own resolution. And this is the reason, I frankly own, that I have determined not to see you, nor hear you speak, for I well know my weakness in your favour. But I will get the better of this fond folly. Nay, I hope I have already done it, since it was likely to cost me so dear. And I write this to tell you that I wish you well with all my heart, though you have spread such mischief through my family. And yet I cannot but say that I could wish you would not think of marrying in haste, and particularly that you would not have this cursed Williams. But what is all this to me now? Only, my weakness makes me say, that as I had already looked upon you as mine, and you have so soon got rid of your first husband, so you will not refuse, to my memory, the decency that every common person observes to pay a twelve months compliment, though but a mere compliment, to my ashes. Your papers shall be faithfully returned to you, and I have paid so dear for my curiosity and the affection they have riveted upon me for you, that you would look upon yourself amply revenged if you knew what they have cost me. I thought of writing only a few lines, but I have run into length. I will now try to recollect my scattered thoughts and resume my reason, and shall find trouble enough to replace my affairs, and my own family, and to supply the chasms you have made in it. For, let me tell you, though I can forgive you, I never can my sister, nor my domestics, for my vengeance must be wrecked somewhere. I doubt not your prudence in forbearing to expose me any more than is necessary for your own justification, and for that I will suffer myself to be accused by you, and will also accuse myself, if it be needful. For I am, and will ever be, your affectionate well-wisher. This letter, when I expected some new plot, has affected me more than anything of that sort could have done. For here is plainly his great value for me confessed, and his rigorous behaviour accounted for in such a manner as says tortures me much. And this wicked gypsy story is, as it seems, a forgery upon us both, and has quite ruined me. For, oh, my dear parents, forgive me! But I found, to my grief, before, that my heart was too partial in his favour. But now, with so much openness, so much affection, nay, so much honour too, which was all I had before doubted, and kept me on the reserve, I am quite overcome. This was a happiness, however, I had no reason to expect. But, to be sure, I must own to you that I shall never be able to think of anybody in the world but him. Presumption, you will say, and so it is. But love is not a voluntary thing. Love, did I say? But come, I hope not. At least it is not, I hope, gone so far as to make me very uneasy. For I know not how it came, nor when it began, but crept, crept it has, like a thief upon me. And before I knew what was the matter it looked like love. I wish, since it is too late, and my lot determined, that I had not had this letter. 
nor I heard him take my part to that vile woman, for then I should have blessed myself in having escaped so happily his designing arts upon my virtue. But now my poor mind is all topsy-turvy, and I have made an escape to become more a prisoner. But I hope, since thus it is, that all will be for the best, and I shall, with your prudent advice and pious prayers, be able to overcome this weakness. But to be sure, my dear sir, I will keep a longer time than a twelve-month as a true widow for a compliment, and more than a compliment to your ashes. Oh, the dear word! How kind, how moving, how affectionate is the word! Oh, why was I not a duchess to show my gratitude for it? But must labour under the weight of an obligation, even had this happiness befallen me, that would have pressed me to death, and which I could never return by a whole life of faithful love and cheerful obedience. Oh, forgive your poor daughter! I am sorry to find this trial so sore upon me, and that all the weakness of my weak sex and tender years, who never before knew what it was to be so touched, is come upon me, and too mighty to be withstood by me. But time, prayer, and resignation to God's will, and the benefit of your good lessons and examples, I hope, will enable me to get over this so heavy a trial. Oh, my treacherous, treacherous heart, to serve me thus, and give no notice to me of the mischiefs thou wast about to bring upon me! but thus foolishly to give thyself up to the proud invader, without ever consulting thy poor mistress in the least. But thy punishment will be the first and the greatest, and well deservest thou to smart, O perfidious traitor, for giving up so weakly thy whole self before a summons came, and to one, too, who had used me so hardly, and when likewise, thou hast so well maintained thy post against the most violent and avowed, and, therefore, as I thought, more dangerous attacks." After all, I must either not show you this my weakness, or tear it out of my writing. Memorandum, to consider of this when I get home. End of section 17